Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Bruna. And I'm Jade. And on this month's episode, we're focusing on support for adults with a cleft lip and or palate. It's good to be back with you on the podcast, Jade. I know, it's so good to have you back. And today's topic is one that's actually quite familiar to you, isn't it, Bruna? Yeah, as you've said, we're focusing on cleft lip and or palate today. Specifically, we're focusing on the support that is available to adults with a cleft lip and or palate. And my work today has focused quite a lot on craniofacial conditions like cleft. So I'm really, really excited about today's episode. Also, we've got Nicola Stock as one of our guests today. And, you know, I've worked really, really closely with Nicola. So yeah exciting and for anyone who has been listening to the podcast for a long long while now we actually did an episode at the very beginning of this podcast when oh god it was like five years ago now so that was Mm -hmm. episode five I think if I remember rightly um where we heard from adult members of the cleft lip and palate association otherwise known as clapper we'll hear more about that later and fun fact Nicola, actually, our guest today, was actually the person who co-hosted the podcast with Nadia on this episode. And that was, like I said, back at the beginning of the podcast. So this kind of feels really full circle that we have Nicola on this episode today. Yeah, exactly. And another fun fact, we're full of those today, Jade, is (laughs) (laughs) it's actually Clef Lip and Palette Awareness Week in the UK right now. So the week is running from the 8th till the 16th of May. And it's aimed at, of course, raising awareness of cleft. And this year specifically, uh, it's focused on celebrating difference, which we love, of course. Great stuff. We've obviously timed this episode perfectly. Um, So anyway, before we delve in, perhaps we should just recap for those who aren't familiar of what a cleft is. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Jade. So for those who aren't familiar, a cleft is a congenital condition, meaning that people are born with it. And it can affect top lip and or the palate, and the palate is the roof of your mouth. So babies can be born with just a cleft lip, just a cleft palate, or a cleft lip and a cleft palate. And when a cleft affects the lip, it can be unilateral, meaning that it affects one side of the lip, or bilateral, meaning that it affects both sides of the lip. And it can also be complete, meaning that it goes all the way up into the nose, or incomplete, meaning that it doesn't go all the way up into the nose great description and it's actually quite common too so in Mm -hmm. fact yeah cleft is the most common craniofacial condition in humans and it is said that one in 600 babies are born with a cleft every year in the UK that's over 1,200 babies per year Mm -hmm. yeah and we're not exactly quite sure of what caused the cleft but it's likely a combination of genes and also the environment uh, around the mother during the pregnancy And another thing about cleft is that although many times it can be isolated, sometimes it is associated with an additional syndrome. Yeah, and in the UK, we're very fortunate as we have phenomenal cleft care and there are 16 designated NHS specialists and cleft teams. The teams are multidisciplinary in nature. So that means like there's surgeons, nurses, psychologists, lots of different um, specialists involved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, UK cleft care is outstanding. Um, And cleft is actually recognised as a long term condition by the NHS because although the cleft itself is usually repaired through surgery early on in the baby's life, 
typically before kind of their first uh, birthday. The treatment pathway extends up until early adulthood. And in fact, many adults also return to the service in later life for further treatment or support. And that might be things like speech or hearing or dentistry or even genetic counselling too. Great. And that is actually a perfect segue into the focus of today's episode, which is about the support that is available for adults affected by cleft. That's right. And I'm especially excited about this episode because historically, a lot of the focus in this field has been on supporting people early on in their cleft journey. And so what tends to be available for adults is nowhere near what is available for infants or children. Yeah. And As we mentioned earlier, and we're really excited, we have Nicola Stock on this episode, along with Kenny Ardwin. So Nicola is a senior research fellow at the Centre for Appearance Research and has worked for many years in the cleft and craniofacial area. And Kenny is an adult service coordinator for CLAPA, the charity we mentioned earlier, which is the leading UK charity providing support to those affected by cleft. That's right. And I spoke with Nicola and Kenny about the amazing work that they've both been doing to develop more evidence-based support for adults with a cleft as part of a project called the Adult Services Project. Great. Shall we hear from the experts? Nicola and Kenny, thank you so much for joining us on Appearance Matters, the podcast. It's great to have you both today. Thank you very much for inviting us, Bruno. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. It's great to have you both. So can you begin by describing Clapper as an organisation and also the Adult Services Project? Yeah, certainly. So Clapper, or the Cleft Lip and Palate Association, if you want its full name, is the organisation for all those affected in some way by cleft in the UK. Um, Going back a little bit, it was founded in 1979 and has always offered a lot of support around coming to terms with cleft and adjusting to life with cleft. Historically, it focused on helping new families adjust to what that would look like having a child born with a cleft. But then over the years, this has evolved and extended to offering support for children and young people uh, through events such as residential weekends, adventure days, things like that. Um, The positive impact of that work was pretty obvious, um, but the missing piece of the puzzle has always been our support to, to adults. And that's where the Adult Services Project uh, comes in. But perhaps, Nicola, you might like to give a bit of background into some of the research around this. Yeah, thanks, Kenny. Um, So I guess for me, this journey started quite a long time ago. Um, I won't say how many years. Um, When I began looking into the psychological well-being of adults with cleft as part of my doctoral degree, um, I was surprised at the time to find that the care pathway was considered to end around the age of 18 years. Um, And I was really concerned that access to the vital medical and support services that young people would have had while they were growing up could then suddenly be restricted, sort of just as they were beginning their adult life, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my doctoral research showed that not only did issues continue into adulthood, um, things like hearing and speech difficulties and, of course, concerns around appearance, Um, but also that new issues uh, arose in later life as well. So things such as stigma around entering the workplace, uh, challenges forming romantic relationships, um, and also concerns around starting a family because of the potential genetic component involved in clefting. Uh, So to me, you know, I saw it was clear that there were lots of unresolved physical and psychological needs among adults with cleft that I didn't feel were being addressed. 
um, particularly for those older adults who would have been born before CLEF services reached the standard that they are now. Um, and I really wanted to make sure that relevant information and support would be available across the entire lifespan, um, all the way through to adulthood. So I decided that I would take this information to Clapper um, to see if they were interested in, in working on something together. Mm. And obviously Nicola's work, you know, we're not talking about small numbers of, of people here when we talk about adults. It's estimated to be around about 72,000 adults in the UK who were born with, with cleft. So obviously in terms of absolute size, adults are the largest group out there. Um, and so Nicola's work led Clapper to create its Adult Voices Council, a group that was dedicated to focusing on the unique perspectives and needs of adults. And then from there, that group identified the need for further research and support for adults, which led to them putting in a funding application uh, with the VTCT Foundation for the Adult Services Project. Um, and this was initially a three-year project that started in March of 2018, and it led to the foundation of my role as the Adult Services Manager, um, and has been the project that we've led on for that length of time. Of course, um, you know, no one could deliver a project like this in isolation, um, aside from, of course, the last year where we've literally delivered everything in isolation. <laughs> um, yeah. It's been made possible with the support of colleagues within within Clapper, and of course, we're incredibly grateful to the support of our external partners, um, you know, the Centre for Appearance Research, and especially especially Nicola, um, who has worked tirelessly on this project from from the get go, and of course, yourself, Bruda, as well, with your support and helping us uh, get a fifth paper that we're working on together out there. Um, but also, you know, Heidi, Nick, Fabio, and the wider CAR team who have all been involved with this project. In some way, it, it really does take a village to uh, deliver a project for adults. Definitely. Wow. Well, thank you so much for providing that kind of context and history to the project. It sounds like it was a long time coming. Um, so you mentioned, Kenny, that you've been working on the Adult Services Project for three years. So can you tell me a little bit more about how the project evolved throughout those years and maybe especially around the, the past year where we've all kind of been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, I mean, that was certainly a curveball that uh, we did not plan on from the outset. Um, but, but we were keen from the outset of this project to do something quite ambitious for a charity, which was to deliver a project that is evidence-based and properly evaluated. Um, I think many charities, you know, with limited resources and time are so keen to get the ball rolling that often they'll deliver their program on a series of hunches without necessarily ever stopping to check that what they're doing is what the community really wants and needs them to be doing, um, mm -hmm. you know, with all the best intentions in the world, of course. Um, so we decided to do things a bit differently and we took the entirety of the first year of the project to figure out what it was that the community wanted from the project. And we just did, we did that by designing the whole of life survey, which was a comprehensive survey that looked not only at people's treatment experiences, but also their education experiences, work experiences, many of the things that Nicola was mentioning before, you know, any instances of bullying or discrimination, emotional well-being, family relationships, friendships, how they felt about romantic relationships, dating, the whole sort of gamut of different things. And the idea behind that was to get an overview of how people who were born with cleft compare to the general population on all these areas. Um, we also did a roadshow back in 2018 
where we traveled all across the UK, feels like a distant memory now, uh, reaching out to people affected by cleft and sharing with them the project, getting a bit of information from them in a more casual, informal setting about what was important to them as an adult with a cleft and encouraging them to participate in that whole of life survey once it became available. And then once we completed the survey, we identified you know, that there were a lot of unmet needs for, for adults in many different areas of life, which made it a bit tricky to decide exactly um, where to start and what to focus on. And we'll talk a bit more about interventions later on. So I also think Kenny is being very modest, actually, um, in terms of the amount of work he did to engage with the community from the very beginning of this project. Um, so we know that adults with cleft are inherently hard to reach. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, young adults would typically have been discharged from the cleft service around the age of 18, which unfortunately means that they tend to disappear. Um, so it's a real challenge as a, as a researcher to reach those people who left the cleft service a long time ago, um, those who are maybe in disengaged with the health service for one reason or another, um, and those who are just simply unaware of the services that are now available. Um, so I think all of that engagement work that Kenny did from the beginning of the project was absolutely key to make sure that we did reach uh, all of the people we wanted to reach. And I think, you know, the response that we got shows that he was really hitting the nail on the head. Definitely. It definitely sounds like you guys did an enormous amount of work and especially you, Kenny, kind of reaching um, adults to, to, to be involved. Oh, well, I mean, like I say, it really took a village with this this project to, um, to and I've just been really, um, you know, humbled along the way, actually, at how well the community have responded to this. And I think, um, you know, we haven't, particularly in that first year, we weren't offering them a heck of a lot. You know, we were saying, come come on this journey with us. You know, it could take us a while, um, but we really want to figure out what's important to you. Um, and the fact that people so willingly gave their time um, you know, to come to the roadshow or complete the survey um, ultimately has been amazing and has led to us being able to do what we've we've done next. Um, and so I think for me, it just shows that this is something that's been long overdue um, and that the community have been ready for it for a long time. Um, but just to, to reiterate your point about the last year as well, you know, everyone everywhere once COVID came along, we had to adapt some of the ways that we were doing things and you know interestingly one of the things that we identified long before COVID came along was the importance of delivering the project across mo multiple modalities mm -hmm. um, because of course you know face-to-face -face events such as the um, adults conference and roadshow which we'll talk a bit more about were obviously very important we also recognize that face-to-face -face events don't work for everyone, be it due to the fact that they might find meeting new people to be quite anxiety provoking um, or because it's not at the right time or, or location for them, you know, or for any number of reasons. So we obviously had to cancel our face-to-face get-togethers, um, but we were able to continue with some of the other interventions. Um, obviously how we um, organized that at the back end uh, had to adapt a bit because we can, you know, sit face to face as staff either. But um, we did our best to carry on with with all the other interventions that we could. And I actually think we've done really well with that, despite a very challenging year. 
Definitely. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Kenny. It sounds like you guys have had a very busy three years and you've done a, you know, a whole bunch on this project. And it's great to hear that you managed to carry on through even you know, during the really tough year that we've all just been through. And it's interesting. I've been having conversations with lots of people about how, of course, the pandemic has been awful and has impacted us in all kinds of negative ways. It's also challenged us to think about how we work and the ways in which we could make resources and support more accessible. And it sounds like that was something that also came up for you on this project, too. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, you know, like like you say, it is something that will come out of the pandemic. Things will change. We, you know, we won't go back necessarily to the way we've always done things. And I think there's a lot of positive to be, be had in that. I think the other really interesting thing is that we don't really know yet how the pandemic will impact the care and support that is available to adults in the longer term. And my main hope really is that we won't lose the momentum and the progress that we've built up in recent years in terms of services for adults, both in the community with all the work that CLAP has done, um, but also within the NHS um, and the amazing services that the CLEF teams deliver all the way through the lifespan now. Thank you both so much for sharing those really interesting um, insights about this project. So I wonder then if you could tell us what came out of this project? What did you find? Sure. So obviously the, the goal of this project um, from the outset was to look at what we could do differently for adults, you know, look at what is working, what isn't working and what can a charity such as Clapper do, but also beyond us, you know, what can the NHS do to better support adults with cleft and what can the research community do to continue to investigate the needs of cleft. Um, and so, you know, there were a number of ways that, that we did that. We developed some interventions um, from our survey, which I'll talk about in a minute. But I think for me, what was quite, you know, outstanding from the survey was just the widespread impact of cleft. Um, it was quite sobering to discover that that really, you know, we were seeing cleft having an impact in quite an array of areas um, and that people were actually often still thinking about cleft a lot, even in, in adulthood, um, mm. you know, such as when they're meeting new people or starting new jobs. Um, and I think that's a really key message to get out there, actually, that cleft is so much more than a physical health condition. And even once the physical side of things has been, been fixed, um, there's still a strong impact on other areas of life, including people's emotional well-being and confidence in their, their relationships. Um, so you might be wondering, you know, what did we do with all the, the information that, you know, 250 odd people very kindly gave us um, in the, the survey and, you know, another 55 or so in the road shows as well. Um, so, you know, we published four academic papers on our initial findings. Um, on the emotional well-being, physical health, interpersonal relationships and treatment experiences. Um, and I've also done individual podcasts and video Q&As through Clapper on each one of those. But to summarize them quickly, uh, we found that emotional well-being was quite significantly impacted with rates of anxiety being a bit higher than that of the general population. Um, and we also saw the value in there of the service that the CLEF team, psychologists and things like the peer support that Clapper provides um, helping with that. In terms of physical health, we found that a lot of people were still experiencing some physical symptoms associated with their cleft well into adulthood, um, be it difficulties with speech, hearing, or even breathing was one that we found came up quite a lot. 
Um, we found that people reported that although they had good friendships and family relationships, you know, making new friends could be difficult even as an adult and establishing a romantic relationship was even harder skill. You know, it feels like even higher stakes, I guess, you know, and I suppose a lot of it feels like it centers in around, you know, appearance and speech. And so if you're perceiving yourself as different in those areas, it's not hard to see how that can knock somebody's confidence. Um, with regard to treatment experiences, there were a wide array of experiences there. And while the general consensus was that people were happy with the surgical and dental and orthodontic treatment that they received, it didn't necessarily mean they would have more in the future um, with concerns about cost, you know, access from previous traumatic experiences being pretty high on the agenda of reasons why people might refuse to have further treatment. Um, so it's been really important to us to get that information out there in a variety of ways. Um, you know, so the papers were one way of doing that. You know, this podcast is another way of doing that. Um, but we've also been sharing this in other ways, including getting information out to the community. And we've developed three main interventions out of the Adult Services Project. Um, so we've had our adults conferences um, in 2018, 2019. Um, and then, you know, that small detail of COVID kind of derailed <laughs> um, our plans to have, have one last year and this year, but we hope to bring them back. Um, so that's our big kind of face-to-face get-together for the year where, you know, we have workshops and we bring health professionals together, patients with CLEF together in a really kind of encouraging, positive atmosphere. And, and they were a lot of fun. Um, but we also acknowledge it actually takes a lot of gumption to get yourself to one of those. And, and for, you know, like I was saying before, um, we found rates of anxiety were a bit higher in our population. Um, so that can actually make it really difficult um, to go into a, a room of new faces and meet, meet new people. And so we didn't want the people who needed our services the most to miss out. Um, so we developed um, Clef Talk, which was a series of podcast and video panel discussions where we took experts by experience so people who have been born with cleft along as you know along with experts by training and um, so you know your clinicians your researchers um, and we took the topics that people told us were most important to them so we had topics about you know related to treatment so you know thinking about jaw surgery for example is, is a big thing for a lot of our community that they have to um, way up and make a decision on it at quite a young age but we also you know went down the, the path of other subjects as well so we spoke about you know increasing self-esteem and what that looks like you know romantic relationships you know um, sex and intimacy you know all those things that everybody wants to know about but um, can sometimes feel a bit shy about, about talking about so we we covered it off there and they're still available on them um, on Spotify and you know Apple Podcasts for people, um, so that's something that's available to anyone anytime. And then we had our Leavers Pack as well, which is um, a a paper kind of set of information that people can have as they leave the cleft um, service. But we also actually realised there are a lot of people who have already left the cleft service who would benefit from all the up to date information about. Um, not only what treatment is available in adulthood, but actually how do you deal with some of the things that come up 
in adulthood, such as, you know, um, you might not be thinking about your cleft, but then suddenly, you know, it's time for you to switch jobs. And then, then it becomes a, a big deal for you again, you know, as you look into moving into a new workplace or going back to study or, um, you know, developing relationships, those sorts of things. So we, we've put together um, a really comprehensive um, FAQ booklet and, and pack for adults, um, which again is something they can hold on to and um, just know that they've had when they they need it. Um, and so in, in addition to, to these interventions, we've also been spreading the word um, with health professionals as well. I, I've had the privilege to present this information at a number of conferences across the UK, um, the Eurocleft conference in 2019 in Utrecht, um, as well as in the last year, a number of different clinical teaching opportunities in New Zealand. Um, so, you know, the, the reach of this is fantastic to see it kind of going around around the world. We did have a number of other places we planned to present and share this information. But again, COVID put the brakes on that. But we still continue to work to get this information out to the people who need to, to see it. As part of the programme, we also carried out an exploratory evaluation. So we went back to all of our beneficiaries, all of our stakeholders, and we asked them to provide feedback um, across all three interventions and all the different modalities um, to help us understand, um, you know, whether these interventions have been helpful um, and how they could potentially be improved in the future. And essentially whether they were meeting adults' needs across the lifespan. Um, what was really fantastic is that everybody um, offered support for the programme um, and also gave us some really helpful pointers. We were really pleased that health professionals supported the programme in particular. Um, they saw that the interventions were a valuable adjunct to kind of the more formal NHS clefib and pallet services, which was great. So I'm really happy that we're able to say with some confidence that those three interventions are already having a positive impact, both on adults with clefib and pallet and also on the health service uh, in the UK. Kenny and I have talked a lot as well because we feel that there's scope for similar initiatives to be developed internationally, but also for individuals with other craniofacial conditions, potentially other appearance altering conditions as well. Um, and we've talked a lot about how you know, we, our wish for the future is that not-for-profit organisations would more habitually evaluate their interventions so that we can create a stronger evidence base for all of the valuable work that the third sector undertakes. Amazing stuff. Once again, it's clear you guys have done so much and you keep saying that, you know, the, the COVID uh, pandemic has slowed you down or has impacted your plans, but it really didn't sound like it because, you know, you've got a bunch of papers and a bunch of talks and podcasts and interventions and it's really, really impressive what you've managed to do with this project. Which leads me to my next question. Uh, what's next for this project or for CLAPA and um, specifically the adult services that CLAPA provide? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good good question. Um, so as I was saying before, you know, initially this was a three-year project that was due to finish in, in March of this year. Um, because of the disruption last year, it did mean that we haven't quite managed to achieve all the things that we wanted to do in the time frame that we had hoped. We, we weren't far off, but, you know, there were just a few loose ends to tie up. And so the project has been extended a little to allow for this. Um, but obviously the pandemic has also fundamentally changed how Clapper delivers its services. And they're in a period of transition to work out what the future looks like for Clapper as an organization. 
Um, what is certain, though, is that the need for adult services has never been more clear. And the papers have very clearly demonstrated that Clapper has a lot of work to do in this area and an important role to take. Um, so it's now also important for the community to continue the dialogue with Clapper and the NHS and ensure that adult services continue to meet your, your needs both now and into the, the future. Yeah, so I think all I would add really is that adults are also, you know, they very firmly remain on the research agenda as well. Um, there's still lots that we need to do. This project's been fantastic, um, but there's always more work to do, uh, I think, and things to learn. Um, the other really exciting thing is that we've learned so much from this project and projects like it um, and all the research we've done in CLEFT. Um, that we are now in a position that we can apply some of that learning to other craniofacial conditions, particularly those conditions that are considered more rare. Um, so we're really excited to be working with um, Headlines Craniofacial Support at the moment on um, projects relating to craniosynostosis. And we also have a number of projects in craniofacial microsomia and microtia. So we really are kind of expanding all of our learning and trying to support others that are you know, just as vulnerable, uh, just as underserved, um, and hopefully we can continue um, to drive this agenda forward into the future. That's brilliant. And it's brilliant to hear that, you know, more will come from this because it's clearly such an important topic and area to focus on. So I'm really pleased to hear that both from the charity perspective and the research perspective, um, more will be done on this in the future. Um, so to finish then, I was wondering if there was a standout moment for either of you during this project. Yeah, another really good question. I, I mean, there are many different standout moments for different reasons. You know, lots of fun uh, evenings out with the car team in, in Bristol as well. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, but personally for me, you know, being able to get up on stage in Utrecht and share with the global cleft community what we had found and to have others come up to me afterwards with such enthusiasm and keenness to build on that work right around the world was a real positive. But I think for me, it would have to be the adults conferences and the road shows. Those opportunities to get out and meet people was the best, you know, to see people who might have felt very apprehensive, pushing themselves out of their comfort zone, coming along, finding empowerment and support that they've just never had before. It's what it's all about for me. You know, after the 2019 conference in Glasgow, watching a group of people who have met leave the conference together and go out for dinner having you know never seen each other before in their lives um and then sharing dinner and a few drinks was incredible and was how i knew that that we'd done a really good thing here definitely that sounds awesome yes and i would definitely second that you know i've, I've heard many times as a researcher you know from adults that they've never spoken about their experiences before they've never had that opportunity nobody's ever asked them you know how they feel um, about everything that they've been through um, and also that they've never met anyone with a cleft before you know they've never met anybody else in in their position so just to see people having those opportunities um, to tell us their stories and to share those with the community and to just share experiences with other people that have experienced similar things to them I think is really really powerful and you know the research is great but you know you can't take away from that feeling um, of seeing people connect in that way so yeah that was a definitely a standout moment for me. I think one of the other huge benefits of this whole project really from start to finish has been the partnership between CAR and Clapper um, I'd love to see more partnerships like this between academics and not-for-profit organisations because the fact we were able to develop 
new interventions based on strong research evidence and then implement them into the community all within you know a crazy short space of time really it was only three years um, and to actually have evaluated that and to show that it's already having an effect um, I don't think you know there's a better way to work uh, I think if you bring all the stakeholders together um, and you really listen to the community um, and you pull everybody's expertise together uh, you know, I really think that that is the way that we go out there and we make real change and improvements to care and support. Really, really great stuff. So if there are any adults listening to the podcast today, um, adults with a cleft who would like more information or support, where can they go to find that? Definitely. So the best place to start would be on Claffer's website. So www.claffer.com forward slash adult services project. And on there, you will find um, links to everything that we've we've done, um, summaries of everything that we've discussed today. You know, links to the Cleft Talk podcast that we've discussed, um, information about the the adults conferences, the Leavers Pack, um, and also how to access peer support, which is actually something that has been going for a while at Clapper, predating this project, but is still a really valuable um, service that you can access. Um, or support. We've also got a new advocacy service. So for people who are struggling to get back into the, the cleft system for whatever reason, um, you can get in touch with one of my colleagues, Daniel, who will be able to help with that. Um, so again, all of that information is on the Clapper website um, and Facebook as well. If you search for um, Clapper Adult Voices, um, you will find our Facebook group um, there with about 2,000 uh, adults in the UK who were born with PEF. So that's a, a really nice, supportive place that you can go um, to get information and um, to hear other experiences. Thanks, Kenny. And I'll link the uh, two websites that Kenny just mentioned in the show notes for the episode today. So that's the end of my questions regarding the Adult Services Project. But I have one very important question to ask before I can let you go. Um, to follow the tradition of Appearance Matters, the podcast. So as you'll both know, because Nicola, you work at CAR and Kenny, you, you basically work at CAR. You're, you, know, <laughs> you, you, you spent quite a bit of time there. Um, we usually, uh, in a non-COVID kind of setting, we would have a weekly coffee morning that we call CAR Weekly, where people would take turns to bring cakes and baked goods. Some people, me, would bring shop-bought because I'm not a very good uh, baker but some people would make very great cakes so I'm very interested if you were both tasked with bringing the cakes in that week um, what would you bring? Yeah a really good question I mean for <laughs> fear of um, a lawsuit I better not say anything about a caterpillar cake. Um, yeah <laughs> very I, I think for me, it would have to be chocolate. You can't go too far past a good, moist chocolate mug cake. Mm, I'm on board with that one, Kenny. How about you, Nicola? Yeah, I'm glad we're finally getting to the serious questions. <laughs> um, oh, oh, so on board with chocolatey. It's always got to be chocolatey. Um, I would like to say I would deliver something very fancy and very elaborate um, and delicious. But the reality is I probably throw something together in a bit of a panic last minute. So I'd probably do something that didn't require any baking, um, mm -hmm. something like a fridge cake, you know, you can that you can shove in the fridge overnight. And uh, yeah, as long as you put enough marshmallows and biscuits and chocolate in there, I'm sure it'll go down well. Yeah, 
All right. Well, thank you both so much once again for generously offering up your time to be here with us today. It's been amazing to hear about the incredible work that you've been doing over the past few years. Well, thank you very much, Bruno, for having us. It's been a real pleasure to um, come on the podcast and share what we've been up to. Um, I think, you know, you guys are doing fantastic work with this podcast. It's always been something that I've been um, hoping to have my chance to be involved with. So thank you very much for making that happen. Yeah, thank you very much for having us on the podcast. It's been really nice to showcase this work. It's been quite a journey um, and it's lovely to be able to talk about it with Kenny. So thank you for having us. Oh, that was such a lovely conversation. Yeah, and what amazing work that those two have done over the last three years or so. So much has been done. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And it's really novel and truly, truly needed in the field. So it's really exciting. And as I mentioned during the interview with Nicola and Kenny, if you'd like to find out more about the Kappa Adult Services Project, then please do check out the show notes because we'll have all the information linked on there. Yeah, and we have to say a special thank you to Kenny for recording with us all the way from New Zealand. That is commitment. (laughs) Yeah, bless him. He had to stay up uh, considerably late for us to make the time zones work. So, you know, the wonders of modern technology, eh? I know, right? All these great ways that we've been able to communicate now. (laughs) (laughs) Like what we're doing. We're not in person, but we're making it work. Yeah. And a huge thanks once again to Nicola and Kenny for giving up their time to join on today's episode and to share their wonderful work with us and you guys, the listeners. Yeah, thank you so much, Nicola and Kenny. It was, as I said, amazing to speak with you both. And thank you again, as Jade said, for listening to Appearance Matters, the podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do remember to share, subscribe, rate and review. It helps other people find the podcast and it gives us a little boost. It really does. And remember, you can keep up to date with our centre's work on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. All the links are in our bio as always. Until next time. Bye. Bye.